Hi everyone, thank you so much for letting us into your space today. We just wanna let you know that we have a lot of things going on. So we encourage you to check our website um, just to see what events are coming up. Summer's coming, there's new things happening all the time. Also, please, we encourage you to like and subscribe. That way you know all of the new feed coming down the line on your YouTube channel. We hope you enjoy the message. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So glad all of you are here um, joining us uh, today. Before we jump into the message today, I wanted to mention a couple of things um, just to kind of put on your radar for you to be aware of. One is for the past several years on Mother's Day weekend, we have done this church-wide child blessing, which has been a really, really fun thing. We love blessing our children in that way. But this year, we're going we're gonna to do that on a different weekend. Um, so we're going to move the child blessing to a weekend in August, more near when start, school starts, rather than on Mother's Day. So I just wanted you to be aware of that. Secondly, in three weeks, we're going to be starting a new teaching series similar to our John series, but this, was, this one is going to be on 1 Corinthians, so we're going to spend several months walking verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians, which was written to a group of people who are trying to follow Jesus in the midst of a culture that was consumeristic, overly sexualized, and re relationally divided. So it's not really very relevant uh, for us. But anyway, we're going to look at it. Um, but that's going to be beginning the weekend of May 20th. And I'm super excited about what God has in store for us in that journey. Well, well today, we are in week three of a five-week series entitled Sent. What does it look like to live as sent once. Now that word sent is very common and yet also a very significant word. It carries a sense of purpose. I mean, if my wife Raylene is in the middle of baking something and she needs flour, I get sent to Walmart, right? With a specific purpose. <clears throat> I'm on a very important mission. And then I get to the flower section and I wonder, does she want unbleached or bleached? And what does that even mean? This isn't laundry detergent. And so then I get out my cell phone and I ask her, you know, text her my question. And then I wait for the response. And I, while waiting, I look around and see other guys on their cell phones, you know, with a similar mission that they don't want to mess up either. Okay. But, but there's something about being sent that carries with it a sense of purpose, which is why a few months ago, the word, these words of Jesus in John chapter 20, they, they captured my heart in a significant way. Jesus said to his followers, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So Jesus has a purpose for us as his followers. He is inviting each one of us to live as sent ones, to fully embrace this privilege of being carriers of his hope, to the world around us. So what does that look like? Well, that's what this teaching series is all about. In this series, we're, we're talking about five simple practices that each one of us, no matter what our personality, Enneagram type, doesn't matter, no matter what our personality, each one of the five simple practices that all of us can engage in in order to partner with Jesus and helping people experience a relationship with him. So the first practice we talked about two weeks ago is what we call a loving lens. That's seeing people not through the lens of labels, but through the lens of love. And then last week, Pastor Nate did a great job talking about the second practice, which we call intentional proximity. What that means is living our lives in such a way that we are intentionally hanging out with people 
who don't know Jesus, taking time to get to know our neighbors or our coworkers, choosing to do things we enjoy like hiking or pickleball or golf or book clubs or whatever, but just intentionally doing those things with people who don't know Jesus yet. Um, And that then leads to practice number three, which we're looking at today. And it's what we're calling spiritual attentiveness. So spiritual attentiveness is is based on this idea that God's spirit is already at work in people's lives around us. Our job is to simply partner with him in what he is already doing. So check this out, what Jesus says in John chapter five. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. See, notice Jesus isn't plowing ground on his own. No, he is continually attentive to whatever the father is doing and then he partners with the father in that. And I don't know about you, but this is so refreshing I think it's so refreshing when you think about being sent by Jesus is not this high pressure, guilt-ridden, forceful endeavor. No, it is us partnering with what Jesus is already doing in someone's life. Okay, so how do we do that? What does that look like in practical terms? We're gonna get really practical because believe it or not, in this spiritual attentiveness thing, it often hinges upon a critically important skill that any of us here can engage in, no matter what our personality, any of us here can engage in this. And the more we practice this, the more opportunities we're gonna see opening all around us to bring hope to people. Even people who seem really, really far from God and totally disinterested in him. Okay, so what's the skill? Listening, listening, that's it. Todd Hunter, who who used to be the leader of Alpha USA, he writes this. He says, I'm convinced that in our post-Christian society, the most important evangelistic skill is listening. I think he is absolutely right. Listening opens up far more doors than talking ever will. So I was in Costco a couple weeks ago in Nebraska with my getting something for my, my son who lives there and, and walking around Costco. And I noticed this AT&T booth over to, you know, in this one area and there were salespeople there, three or four salespeople. And they were catching people as they went by to encourage them to switch to AT&T. And I made a mental note, avoid that section. Uh, we're happy with our cell phone carrier. But a few minutes later, I wasn't paying attention to where I was. Uh, and sure enough, I was walking past their booth And even though I was committed to ignoring them, I soon found myself talking with this woman from AT&T. Why? Here's why. Rather than immediately blurting out some sales pitch, she asked me a question, which changed the whole dynamic. Rather than me being forced to listen to a spiel I didn't care about, I instead was the one who was speaking and sharing my own experience, and she was listening to me. And pretty soon, I was moderately interested in what she had to say. See, listening opens a door for conversation and connection that talking doesn't. 
especially when someone is, in, is, is you know, not initially interested in what we have to say, like me in, in Costco, right? See, sometimes, for those of us here who are Christ followers, sometimes as Christ followers, we are so convinced that we have the truth that people need to hear that we forget that people aren't necessarily interested in hearing that truth. I mean, can we all agree that spoken truth has no impact if no one is listening? Can we agree <laughs> that speaking the truth has no value if no one is listening to us? It doesn't matter how forcefully or how loudly we proclaim the truth. It doesn't matter how convincing our arguments. Spoken truth, speaking the truth has no impact if no one is listening to us. So how might we create an environment where people might be more inclined to listen to what we have to say? It's by us choosing to listen to them. It is amazing the doors that open when we make it a point to ask questions and listen to people. Now, this may initially sound a bit like a marketing strategy, you know, something AT&T trains their, they probably do, train their employees in, in, in how to increase sales or whatever. But it's actually something, it's about something way bigger than that. This isn't a marketing strategy. Please hear me. It's, it's about something way bigger than that. It's about a God-given longing every human being has. Every human being longs to be seen and to be heard. See, listening enables us to truly see another person and to hear their story, which often creates space for God to speak and to move in their lives. See, this is what spiritual attentiveness is all about. Here's how I would define, here's how we're defining spiritual attentiveness. Spiritual attentiveness involves listening to God as we're listening to people. That's it. We're listening to God as we're listening to people. And in doing that, we cultivate relational space to partner with what God is doing in someone's life. Now we see a great example of this in John chapter four, where Jesus is at a well in the middle of the day, the heat of the day, and a Samaritan woman with a questionable reputation, she comes to draw water. Now look, this is not a conversation that would typically happen. There are three major barriers already in place. There's the gender barrier. She's, barrier. she's a woman, and women in that culture were viewed a little more than property. There is a racial barrier. She's a Samaritan, and Jews hated Samaritans. And then there's a moral barrier. She's an outcast in the village because of her sexual immorality. Every other Jewish man would have viewed her through the lens of these labels, and they wouldn't have talked with her. But not Jesus. He saw her through the lens of love. It's practice number one. We talked about that first week. And then he chose to stay in relational proximity after she arrived at the well. That's practice number two, intentional proximity, which we talked about last week. And then he begins to model for us practice number three, spiritual attentiveness. Jesus gently engages her in conversation, a conversation that was rooted in listening, listening to the Father, as he was listening to her. John 4, verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Notice, what does Jesus do first? He asks her a question. This is brilliant. 
He didn't start with a sermon and posture himself as the know-it-all, even though he did know it all. Uh, He didn't start with the answers. He started with a question, a question that revealed his own humility. He started the conversation by asking her for help. And that one simple question opened a door for further conversation. There, there have been a number of times I've seen this happen with my neighbors or, or with other, other people in my life where my initial contact with them is me asking for help with something that they can provide. It, it establishes a mutuality in the relationship. I'm not posturing myself as the expert. No, I'm a, I'm a learner. I'm in need of help. So, so Jesus, in his need, asked her a question, and in doing so, he piqued her interest. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I love this. Notice Jesus' question was so out of the ordinary for a Jewish man to ask for water, so out of the ordinary that it prompted her to respond by asking Jesus a question. Good questions will do that. Good question. When we ask someone a strategic kind of a good question, it causes people to think and to wrestle or to be surprised or uncertain. And they often respond in answering their question. They end up asking us a question, wanting to know what we think. I mean, questions are such a powerful way to find out what people think and to hear their story. So here's some questions to try in some of your relationships. There are many others, but here's just some strategic questions. One, you could just ask someone, "Do do you believe in God? And if so, what do you think he's like? Great question. Or how about this? What do you find is the most difficult thing to buy into when you consider the claims of Christianity? What's the toughest thing to kind of buy into? That's a great question. Or or there's one, just say, hey, did your family go to church when you were growing up? And and what was that experience like? Or maybe this question, have you ever had a Christian try to convert you? What was that experience like? What thoughts and feelings did that stir up? See, these kinds of questions can open a door for a spiritual conversation if we're willing to genuinely listen to people's response. See, this is what Jesus does throughout this entire conversation. You can read the whole thing later, John chapter four. He is carefully listening to her throughout the whole conversation, but he's also listening to the Holy Spirit in the midst of this conversation. He subtly directs the conversation towards spiritual realities, how he, Jesus, can provide what she's ultimately looking for. In in the conversation about the water in the well, Jesus mentions living water, which, which stirs an interested response from her. What do you mean living water? He's doing what Paul talks about in Colossians 4, verse 6. Check this out. We're told, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What a great statement. He doesn't say, let your arguments be loaded with truth. (laughs) No, he doesn't say that. He says, let your conversation with people be full of grace and strategically seasoned with salt. See, questions are a simple and grace-filled way to season our conversations with salt. 
Another way to season a conversation with salt is to naturally sprinkle in concepts to see if there's a response. Like Jesus dropping in this phrase, living water. He's using that phrase because he knows she's spiritually thirsty. So he's subtly sowing seed into the conversation that he knows is maybe going to connect with a need that she has, but he's not doing so in a preachy way, in a forceful way. See, this, this is where listening to the Holy Spirit while we're listening to people can be so important. As we're in a conversation, we can pay attention to anything the Holy Spirit brings to our mind. It could be a simple phrase like living water or, or more of a word of knowledge, you know, something God reveals to us about this person. That's what happens here in, later in verse 15. Look at this. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. See, the Holy Spirit had revealed to Jesus specific information about this woman's situation. And Jesus was able to bring that into the conversation, not in a shame-filled way, but in a way that highlighted how God saw this woman. God saw her. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us all the time, those kinds of things. But the question is, are we attentive to his voice? See, again, this is what spiritual attentiveness looks like. Spiritual attentiveness involves listening to God as we're listening to people. And what a powerful combination that any and all of us can utilize. Rather than being confrontational, we can be curious. And what a huge difference that is. Rather than being confrontational, we instead can be curious. Look, I have a feeling we would be amazed at the spiritual conversations that would arise from this simple shift to curiosity and listening rather than trying to speak and get our point across. I think we'd be amazed at the, at the conversations, the opportunities that would open up. We'd begin to see what God is already doing in this person's heart, and then we can partner with him. So each week in this series, we've had a video story of someone in our church kind of living out the principle that we're talking about that, that week. And when I initially thought about spiritual attentiveness, it's listening to God as we're listening to people, I thought about, immediately thought of Georgia Coates, who is an elder in our church and a missionary with Wycliffe, focusing on immigrants and refugees in our community and around the world. Georgia, this cool story, she started attending, she's one of the first college students to start attending Christ Community after, you know, I had come 30 some years ago. Um, she started attending Christ Community in college at UNC. She was baptized here 30 years ago. Um, I remember how her and her roommate, they embodied living as sent ones. For instance, I remember as, as upperclassmen, you know, upperclassmen, you can live off campus at that time, they could, they intentionally chose to move into a dorm. Both of them chose to move into a dorm just to build relationships with the girls in that dorm. And they would bring them tons of girls to church. And it was just amazing. They just kind of lived this whole scent life. But I just see in Georgia this spiritual attentiveness. And so I asked her to share a little bit, especially about the listening to God part, her own journey in listening to God. So yeah, Georgia, come on up. Thanks, Pastor Allen. I love to take walks and to pray. 
as a part of like a regular rhythm of life. So I was doing what I always do, walking my neighborhood and embracing solitude as these moments of God's pursuit of me. At that time, God was teaching me new layers of surrender and intimacy with him. So on one particular day, as I was walking my neighborhood and I was praying, I looked up ahead and I noticed um, an older hijabi Muslim woman struggling to get her garbage cans um, onto the curb. And a flood of voices came into my head. If my husband were here, he would jump right in and help her because that's his servant's heart. Am I supposed to jump in and help her? God, is that what you're asking me to do? Is that what she needs? Or is that not what you're asking me to do? Maybe that's not what she needs? But if you're asking me and I miss it, then am I disobeying you? So now I'm getting awkwardly close to her house and I have to make a choice. But I'm still thinking, what if I get this wrong? Well, clearly I'm an expert at overthinking and there's so many voices going on in my head that I can't discern God's clear guidance. So after I spent a few minutes beating myself up and walking past the neighbor and her garbage cans, I did discern what God was saying to me in a, very gently and very powerfully. She'll bring out her garbage next week. There will be another opportunity. So I never actually had a chance to help that particular woman with those particular garbage cans, <laughs> but God taught me some profound lessons that day about being attentive to him. And here are the few key things that I learned. He cares about me and my learning process. He never gives up on his kids. And he always repeats things that are important. Learning to be attentive in the little things isn't pass or fail. And it isn't hear him or miss him. And that is such a relief. Learning to be attentive is more about following his lead, learning his ways, and trusting in his goodness. When he invites me into something, it is good. It's good for me, and it's good for the people he wants to connect me with. And God always repeats things that are important. So often in the Old Testament, he's repeating the same things over and over, the important ones. And with Peter, I love that about Peter. He always has to hear things three times that, because um, he wants our whole heart. Jesus wants our whole heart involved. And his words are never the words that beat me up or make me feel guilty. His voice is always life-giving to my soul. I love, 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 love what, he, uh, what John the Baptist says in John chapter 3, verse 29. He's talking about being the friend of the groom, the best man. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it's now complete. The best man waits and listens and is full of joy attending to the groom. The groom is Jesus, and that joy is mine to receive what he has given us from heaven. Being friend of the groom is really an honored position. When the groom asks for something, it's never an interruption because his friend is waiting attentively for whatever he needs. And I love that. There's so much in this journey 
so much joy in this journey of being sent ones. And it's never an interruption if it's an invitation. It's never an interruption if it's an invitation to join Jesus in whatever adventure he's on. And I want to be invited along. And I want to wait and listen and be ready for the invitation. So six years after the garbage can incident, I'm still learning to embrace the invitations of Jesus. I feel like a little girl on the beach searching for hidden treasures. Seashells, sea glass, pretty rocks, lost toys. I go out with expectation and follow the clues and get excited with every little discovery. And then I run to my parents holding my precious treasures. Look what I found. Wanting someone to share in my joy. Many of you have heard maybe about our um, growing study buddies tutoring group that meets in Zoe's Cafe on Tuesday nights. Well, it started as a way to connect with some amazing teens from refugee backgrounds in our community. When the girls asked for, ex um, for academic tutoring, I said yes. But the problem is, I'm not qualified to tutor them in things like physics and biology. <laughs> uh, so I found myself saying yes to an invitation that I had nothing to bring. <laughs> but that's the exact place where I have learned to be the most attentive and desperately seek God for help, listening to what he's already invited me into and what he has next for me and for us. There was no doubt in my mind that God had invited all of us into this incredible study buddies adventure, so I just needed to wait and pray and trust him. So on my prayer walk, walking the neighborhood, specifically praying for science tutors, and God brought an image to my mind. An image of a young, blonde college student sitting on a bar stool at Zoe's Cafe. And I understood in my heart that God wanted me to invite this particular college student into study buddies. I had met her a couple of times before, and I think I remembered she was a pre-med student. So my brain went into overthinking mode. <laughs> and I was like, what if she says no? That's going to feel like rejection to me and to these teens that I love. And she's a busy college student. She probably has a ton of other priorities besides joining us on a Tuesday night. Well, I've gotten a lot better at sorting out the noise in my head, being able to discern God's invitation, because his invitation is always good and life-giving. Not always easy, but good. His voice sounds more like, why not ask her? You're not responsible for her answer. All you need to do is respond to me in this moment. I could do that. So I messaged her through social media, and she said she'd think about it. Whew, at least it wasn't rejection. <laughs> um, so when I received God's invitation, they feel joyful and exciting, something I am privileged to be a part of. And that's the heart of what I was inviting this college student into. It was like a privileged invitation with her name on it. So two weeks later, she came back to me with a wholehearted yes. And our little growing study buddies group, it's more like a family, is fuller and more equipped and more joyful because this particular college student said yes. And so many others as well who have now joined our family so many treasures to discover along the way. 
And God delights. God delights in the, dis- the search, the discovery process, the intimately connecting with his kids and inviting us onto these adventures with him. Thank you, Georgia. I love that language of joy and adventure as we're listening to God. What might doors might God be opening up for us as we listen to him and listen to people? In his excellent book called God Space, um, which I think is the best book on personal evangelism. Anyway, Doug Pollock, um, he tells a story about how he was speaking at a church one evening and afterwards he and his ministry buddy <clears throat> went to a local bar, intentional proximity, right? Um, and they were sitting down at this bar and they were ordering a couple of drinks and they were approached by a couple of guys, um, pool players who asked if they wanted to play and they said, sure. And so as they were playing a few games, the guys that were playing with said, hey, we've never seen you here before. You know, are you from around here? And Doug said, no, this is our first time in town. And they said, well, what are you in town for? And Doug said, well, you wouldn't really believe me if I told you, Um, but they were kind of intrigued. And so they said, give it a shot. So he said, well, one of the bigger churches in downtown asked me to speak tomorrow. And then he's, Doug said, would you guys be willing to help me out? Notice what he's doing. He's establishing mutuality. He needs their help. Just like Jesus, can you give me a drink? So then he said, sometimes churches are not very clued in to how they're coming across in the community because they talk more than they listen. So he said, you could help me and them by telling us about your experience with the church. See, notice how he's asking a strategic question. Okay, by now, the bartender kind of caught wind of what was going on, and he turned the music down. Um, So pretty soon, everyone in the bar had pulled up chairs around this pool table. And one by one, they began to share their stories about how they had been wounded by the church in one way or another. The bartender said she stopped going to church after she was told that her miscarriage was a result of sin in her life. And then another person shared a story about being hurt by the church that they used to attend. For 30 minutes, Doug and his friend simply listened to what was being shared. They didn't try to defend the church. They just listened with curiosity, asking questions for further clarification, acknowledging the pain that these people had experienced. So then the the youngest person in the bar said, now you all need to promise that you're not going to tell anyone what I'm about to share. Good luck with that. But anyway, she went on to explain how her dad, who is the owner of the bar, used to be a pastor. And he had left the ministry when the church had split. Everyone's jaw like hit the floor. No one knew that their drinking buddy, the bar owner, had formerly been a man of the cloth. Well, then she said, you know, I've asked a lot of people this question, but no one has been able to answer it. Could you guys tell me if it's possible to know for sure that if you died, you would go to heaven? So Doug said, I have an idea how to answer that. And so he gave a simple gospel presentation to all these people who are gathered there. And that led to 30 more minutes of people asking questions about sin and hypocrisy and forgiveness. See, I don't know, I don't know if we realize the incredible power of these two simple things, asking questions and then listening to people's responses. All of us can do this. This is not about preaching. This is not about forcing people to hear the four spiritual laws or whatever. No, this is simply about being curious. 
I remember playing in a golf tournament last September. Um, afterwards, our foursome was sitting around the table having a drink, and, and I just started, you know, to ask this guy about his life. And I found out that he was a preacher's kid. Um, and I just started asking him questions about that. What was that like? And, and I just listened as he shared, and he eventually began to talk about how his parents had basically disowned him when he got a divorce um, and he hadn't been back to church since. And in the midst of listening to that story, I made this comment that we often, all of us, we tend to project onto God the experiences we have with our earthly parents. How we project that perception onto God and he immediately like, absolutely, that's so true. And then I just mentioned how much God loves him and, and that God hadn't turned his back on him. I mean, you could tell God was doing something in his heart. Here we are in the middle of a you know, restaurant bar. Kind of He's just, God was doing something. And I was just trying to be attentive to that. Like, I didn't, I didn't go into that conversation looking for a way to share the gospel. I do remember drive into that tournament thinking, God, if you want to use me today, however you would want to use me today, I'm available. I do remember that, but I didn't go into that conversation looking for a way to share the gospel. I just went in with a curiosity and began asking questions about his story. And suddenly I found myself in this God space with this person, partnering with God and gently helping draw this person's heart back to him. You know, it's, it's so many of us, and I, I'm, a, I'm an introvert too. I, I get this. So many of us kind of get nervous about this whole topic of being sent and don't know what to say and all that. But look, what if we took the pressure off? I'm going to take the pressure off right now. And what if we simply made it our goal? Just try this. Don't even worry about what you're going to say. Just make it your goal in, in conversations this coming week, conversations with people. Just make it your goal to ask strategic questions and then just listen and see what doors God might open. I think we would be amazed at what happens. All right, let's pray. So I, I wanna just invite you, if something is stirring in your heart, a yes <laughs> to this adventure of listening to God while you're listening to people, just tell him that in the quiet of your heart. Say, Jesus, yeah, I want to say yes to that. So I pray, Lord, for all of us. I pray you would help us be curious rather than confrontational. Help us to ask questions and to listen rather than distancing ourselves from people and judging them. Help us to better see what you're up to and sense what you're up to in the lives of people around us who don't know you because we want them to know you. We want them to experience your love. So help us live as sent ones, partnering with you in this adventure, God, of listening to your voice while we're listening to people. And I'm going to pray right now, Lord, I just want to ask you to maybe bring to mind a person in our lives 
or maybe you're prompting us to get together with them and just have a conversation and just listen to them. This week. God, would you help us be better listeners? Listening is such a beautiful expression of love. Would you help us grow in listening? Because it is such a reflection of your heart. And we pray for doors to open, to point people to you as we listen to you. Now, by the way, I want to just... just uh, mention, you may be wondering, well, what if I listen? And then like in that bar story, what if this suddenly a door opens and people want to hear about Jesus? What then? Well, I want to mention here, this is a little announcement, but I want to mention in a free seminar we're having in two and a half weeks on May 17th, two-hour seminar where we're going to train you in how to articulate the gospel, the message of the gospel in a simple way draw it on a piece of paper, a simple way. You could share it with anyone and then lead someone to Christ. And so there are details in the newsletter about that. Um, that's Wednesday, May 17th. Okay. Well, in our services this weekend, as a part of our worship, we have a number of people getting baptized as a public demonstration of their faith in Jesus, which is awesome. We're so excited for these folks. I think we have about 10 people in this service that are being baptized. And I want to just remind us for each person, if you're being baptized, I'll give you a chance. Don't, you can just stay seated for a minute. But I want to just remind you in each person's life who's being baptized, there are people in their lives, there were sent ones, Right? who listened and helped point them to Jesus, parents, friends, spouse, ministry leaders. So praise God for the sent ones, right? <laughs> who, who impacted the lives of each of the people being baptized here today. So why don't we stand? We're gonna worship. And if you're being baptized in this service, we want you just to head over to, to my left, just to the north side of the sanctuary. Pastor Bruce is gonna be over there. You're kind of gonna line up over there. So if you're being baptized, head over there right now. And, and we're going to worship the Lord. As they're getting ready, we're going to worship the Lord. So we love you. Set us free to worship you, God. Thank you for finding us. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for the people being baptized, God. Thank you for this demonstration of their, public demonstration of their faith in you. We love you, God. So coming out of this message, as usual, we just want to open the doors for conversations. We're here for you. I know you're there watching or listening in your own space. But if you have questions or if you're going through something you want to talk to somebody about or if you need prayer, we're here for you. So please reach out, send a message, go on our website, go to the chat box. We're here for you to journey with you alongside you in whatever God is doing in your life. So I hope you have a blessed rest of your day and we'll see you next time. Bye.